we just got done with the book in First Peter, uh, and Peter was talking to a bunch of Christians who were leaving everything behind, and I mean literally everything, sometimes family even. They were leaving homes, they were leaving possessions, they were leaving jobs, they were leaving security, they were leaving all that they had known, places where they had grown up their entire lives, and they were being persecuted to the point that they had to just run for their lives and wherever they landed. Now, in the grand scheme of things, if we're one of those people and we're like, why, God? Why are you making us go everywhere and be dispersed all over the place? And why is this happening to us? And how are we going to make it? And are you even real? Are you even there? And from a God perspective, those people didn't see it in the moment, but we look at it back from looking backwards today, and we see the dandelion being blown and the little spores flying all over the place. And we see Christians that were cloistered in one spot and their, their testimonies and their witness about Jesus are, are spreading all over the lands. And everywhere where the Christian goes, they become an ambassador for Christ and a missionary. And they tell other people about the gospel and the good news. And uh, they, there's a church that springs up from that place. And over here in Russia and over here in this part of Europe and over here in Asia and down in Italy and off down into Africa. And the gospel gets spread. And people say, man, I don't, I don't like being uncomfortable. I don't like having struggle. I do not like difficulty. I want to be just left right here where I'm at, where everything's good and easy, where I know everybody around me, and where I don't have to do much. And God says, no, no. He said, the whole goal of your life isn't about your happiness. It's about your holiness. And God's going to make you holy sometimes, and very often probably, in fact, when it's very uncomfortable. And so thank God that he took that persecution, what was meant as evil towards believers, and he used it for good to spread the Christian faith all across the globe. Otherwise, we would likely not be here today. And I wonder, in our current situation in the world today, if many Christians like those early believers have gotten very comfortable, if we've gotten very used to the places that we're at, we don't want to be pried out of them, we don't want to be moved, and yet if God's not saying, if you won't go, I will make you go. I will send you to go. And guys, I believe that he's doing that. So Peter spoke into the lives of those people, and he said, listen, in spite of your circumstances, in spite of the difficulty, he said, keep growing into God. Keep increasing in your faith. And we're increasing, uh, we're continuing that increasing uh, theme through Second Peter. So we just flip the page, basically, and we go to Second Peter chapter 1. And here Peter is no longer just talking about people being encouraged during times of persecution. First Peter, theme. Encouragement and persecution. That's the theme of 1 Peter. 2 Peter, the theme shifts. He's writing the second letter to them, and he's talking to them about recognizing and overcoming false teaching. It's a big deal. Specifically, the teaching that the false teaching had a name for them, and it was called Gnosticism. You've heard of agnostics today. 
we'll get into that a little bit more. But he is going to talk about what we call false teaching. You might also call it heresy, or you might call it apostasy. The Bible uses all those words. But it's talking about false teaching and false teachers. And so Peter's telling them, guys, listen, you've come a long way. You found these little pockets of believers. Little churches are being planted and formed. Uh, Christians are growing in their faith. Lost people are coming in and being saved by Jesus. And he said, in the middle of all that, you can't lose any ground to the devil. He said, because the devil's coming after you. If you don't know this as a reality already, you should. Because get ready for it. If you're doing anything good for God, Satan's put a target on your back. He's going to come after you. And that scares a lot of people off. And a lot of people say, well, you know what? Maybe I just stay where I'm at, status quo, and kind of hide so that neither God. Look, I used to, when I was in class, if you made eye contact with the teacher when they asked you a question, Aaron, did you know the answer? Hmm. No, 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 I didn't. So a lot of times we're like, uh, you know, I don't want to look at God because he's going to call on me to do something. Here's the deal. Satan's coming after you one way or the other. First Peter 5, we looked at Satan's a roaring lion. He is prowling around seeking those whom he may devour. Um, don't be easy prey for Satan. Keep growing in the Lord. Don't get comfortable and complacent in life because you'll be easy prey for Satan. Instead, allow the Lord to do his good work in you. And so we'll talk about that this morning. As believers, we need to understand a couple of things. First of all, how to recognize false teaching or false teachers. And why, secondly, why false teaching is so deadly. And I know a lot of people are like, ah, oh, this sounds boring, okay? Well, no, because false teaching is trickling in everywhere. Um, I was telling Jennifer yesterday uh, to watch Honest Youth Pastor. Um, there's a video where on Disney Plus, two male dinosaurs are hugging and kissing each other, and they're protecting two rocks that are laying in a nest. And these little kids come along and say, oh, the two daddy dinosaurs want their own babies. They want their own nests. They said, well, there's lots of dinosaurs uh, eggs out there. Maybe we can go find some dinosaur eggs and bring to these two daddy dinosaurs so that they can raise their own family. Well, guess what? The reason why two daddy dinosaurs don't have eggs. Y'all know why? Okay, I don't have to go into that biology discussion, okay? God intended for things to go a certain way. And the reason I bring up that story is because it's false teaching, it's heresy, it's apostasy against the very design and creation of God. That's trickling down where? To the target audience of three to nine-year-olds. You know why? Satan wants to reach us younger and younger and younger. Satan's a groomer. He's trying to coerce children so that they'll be easier prey and so that they'll carry out his wicked plans. Satan's trying. He's already got so many adults who are set in their ways, but Satan's after us. It's so important that we recognize truth from error. But so many today can't. And so this message matters. And I'm passionate and I'm serious about it. Because if we can't see the wrong, how are we going to do the right? And so here we are. To identify false teaching, you need to understand that it takes a lot of form. Satan Man, we're going to talk about this in a second. Satan didn't come up with a baseball bat and threaten Eve when he was a serpent in the garden. He didn't bring her something either. We're going to see that he used an idea. 
to deceive her. And ideas are powerful. But to recognize it, you need to know that it takes different forms. And so this is me. Uh, go. I know I messed you up on the slides because I jumped around. I think it's slide number three. There. You may, guys may not be able to read that. I tried to fit a lot on that one. But I can read it to you. Anything that does not honor and glorify God. Just stop right there. Anything that does not honor and glorify God is going to be false teaching. Okay? Somebody comes up here and they said, you know what? God calls it sin, but it's okay if you do it sometimes. Uh-uh. And anything that does not make you more like Christ, any of that stuff's always from the enemy. Anything that puffs you up, that makes you so proud of yourself, that you did it, that you pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps, that you made your own way, that you're the reason why things are good in your life. Anything that exalts yourself or makes you desire to take the place of God is from the enemy. And we got a whole lot of people out there writing books and preaching on the, on the uh, Christian television that are saying, live your best life now. It's all about God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be wealthy. God wants, and, and if I tell you what, put the phone number up there. I'm going to bless some rags, and y'all can buy them and support my ministry. Anything or anyone that draws you further from God is false. Now listen to me. That even goes in dating relationships. If they're pushing you past boundaries that you know are biblical, and listen, I, I still believe, I know that the world says shacking up together, living together, uh, not being married, having sex outside of marriage, doing whatever you can to push the envelope, that the world says, hey, that's okay. And we look around, we say, everybody's doing that, right? A lot of people are. Still doesn't make it right. We don't drink the Kool-Aid, Okay. Anyone, that would be, be a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife that pushes you or draws you further from God. They're doing something that the Bible defines as wrong. Anybody that preaches wrong is preaching false. Anyone or anything that causes you to place faith in yourself or in any other being or thing, man. Somebody tells you that you can do it. Okay, uh, I don't know why we use Philippians 4.13 for everything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, I'm going to go play a soccer game, okay? Philippians 4.13, God's going to make me score more goals than anybody else, right? Uh, I'm going to shoot more baskets than anybody else in basketball. I'm going to run faster. God, God can help me to do abundantly more than all I can ask or imagine. And we're taking scriptures and cherry-picking them and putting them into our lives sometimes. And a lot of people use those as the jumping-off point, and they say, uh, listen, God wants you to be number one. Here's the problem. If you're always about finishing first and always about yourself, you forget the entire Great Commission. You forget to tell people about Jesus. You forget to go back for the one out of the 99 and help them come forward and bring them to the finish line of Jesus. You forget that it isn't just about you. In fact, salvation has very little to do with you. Because we're lost. And lost people aren't just lost like they're out wandering looking for something to find. The Bible says that you and I are dead 
in our trespasses and sin. Dead people don't just come back to life. If there's not a quickening from the Spirit of God to convict us, and if there's not a sacrifice of a holy, perfect Savior, and if there's not a God up there who sees and gives us the faith to even believe in that Jesus, there is no salvation. And so all of this is a work of God, and we respond to it and believe. But man, it's Him. It has little to do with us. False teaching is so dangerous because it always, and I, I mean that word, it leads to a wandering away from God, and it leads to a falling away from faith. You look at it this way. Man, you think just a little bit isn't going to hurt you. Well, here's the problem. By now in my life, I've seen far too many people that think a little bit of a prescription drug isn't going to hurt them. I'm not saying don't take your prescriptions as the doctor supplies you, but a little bit more than what he supplies. And then you take a little bit more, and then it leads to an addiction where you're looking at twice or three times what you've been prescribed, and you're abusing something. And then you're an addict, and you're hooked, and your life has changed, and you didn't get down that road all of a sudden. It was slow and subtle. And guys, the more error, the more outside of this word that you ingest, and you think, hmm, that's okay, nothing happened, okay? I'm not getting in trouble. God didn't strike me down. A little bit more won't hurt me either. And the further and the further you get away from the critical life-giving Word of God, the further and further you fall. And you don't even realize it. It's, uh, <laughs> Johnny, I wasn't there cooking those crawfish. I'm kind of glad, all right? I ate some of them. Uh, the youth and wine workers had a crawfish, crawfish boil Wednesday night. Did you have the water boiling hot when you threw them in there? Okay. They probably died just like that, right? Pretty quickly, all right. But they tasted good. That's the main thing. Uh, we're not advocating murder. We're eating, okay? Um, here's the deal, though. You've heard the old analogy. You put, in a you put a frog in a pot of water, and you warm the water up slowly. The frog doesn't move. He's not jumping out of there. Boys caught a frog in the backyard the other day. Uh, poor frog, okay? <laughs> poor frog in the pot. A little bit of heat. You turn it up a little bit more, maybe 25 more degrees. A little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more until the water's boiling and the frog's already dead. And Satan wants you to be just like that. He's going to use subtleness, he's going to use slowness, and he's going to use methods that make you die sometimes even before you know you're on that direction. That's why it's so important to listen to and pay attention to the Word. False teaching is subtle. If you remember the half-brother of Jesus, his name was Jude, one of his brothers, Jude has a letter, a book written in the New Testament by his name. And he told believers, in fact, Jude would be a good one, maybe for this afternoon for you to go read because it's so short. But in Jude 1, verse 3, he's urging believers, he uses this phrase, contend for the faith. Be a contender for the faith. And the word is our English word, agonize. And it's in the present, I know I bore people with this. Maybe some English teachers are clapping inside sometimes when I say this. It's in the present infinitive form. Again, sometimes we don't get the full meaning of a word in English, but when you look back at the Greek or the Hebrew, you're like, yes, I see now. So the word agonize here means that there is a struggle in our lives as Christians that will be continuous. 
There will be a constant fight for believers against false teaching and error all the days of our lives. And when stuff stops being wrong or evil or false to you, and you don't think anything's wrong with it anymore, you're in trouble because you're already caught in the net. If you look at the world today and you say, well, maybe it is okay if we allow same-sex people to be married. Maybe it is okay if we allow, um, you know, a, 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 a few schools to have shootings in them. You know, maybe, maybe that's okay. And I, that's an idiotic thing to say, right? Maybe it is okay if we start letting these people who are child-attracted do their thing and stop calling them pedophiles. Maybe it is okay if we allow the government to run everything for us and make decisions for us. Maybe it is okay if churches start shutting down. Maybe it is okay if we're shipped off into these camps where they say it's better for us. You go down a hill, man. You've got to stand for some things in your life, especially as believers. There are hills worth dying on. You've just got to ask the Lord for discernment what those hills are. We can't always passively let everything happen to us. We have to contend for the faith. And that means Christians have to speak out. That means sometimes Christians have to sacrifice things for what we know and believe is right. We can't be quiet forever. Or guys, we're going to be miserable and the world's going to go to hell in the handbasket. Jude says that there's a constant fight against false teaching and that Christians should take it so seriously that we agonize over it. And so every believer is called to fight. Therefore, it is imperative that all believers sharpen their discernment and press into the Lord. In verse 4, Jude tells us why we fight and agonize. He says, for certain persons have crept into the church unnoticed. Where are they? They're no longer out in the world. You know, Satan's learned a long time ago, he didn't have to stand outside the doors of the church to wait and attack us. Satan's figured that he can creep in, okay? He can be a wolf wearing sheep's clothing and come in right amongst us and mess us up. And so those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, God knew who they were. He told us they were coming. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus. Pay attention to those people. You know, when I got to uh, pastor Southside Baptist in Alma, it was my first pastorate. Uh, I was 28, fixing to turn 29 years old. And um, I told them, I said, I told them no three times. They asked me to be the pastor, and they said, okay, okay. Well, at least come preach for us. And I was like, I, I would love to do that. I'd be honored to do that. And I was there for only a few months before God had me loving those people so much. And um, I accepted the call to pastor that church. And I told them up front, I was like, don't know what I'm doing. Y'all are getting a moron, okay? I know how to teach God's word. I don't know much else. And I'm still there, okay? I've just grown just a little bit, all right? Um, and I remember one of the first issues I had to deal with. There was a person teaching a Sunday school class and they weren't using the Bible. They were using the Koran in the Southern Baptist Church. I was like, what? who let this happen? And they said, well, they've been teaching Sunday school here forever. 
And they used to use the Bible, but their, their son apparently converted to Islam. And now they believe that the Bible and the Quran are uh, 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 complementary books. And so they've been teaching their class out of the Quran for several months. <sighs> okay, you go, Pastor, deal with that. Well, nobody else has the guts to do it. You go do it, okay? And I was like, okay. So I just went to the guy, and I was naive enough to say, what, what you doing in here? What you teaching? Well, I'm teaching this, blah, blah, blah. And I said, not in this church. And uh, there was conversation that ensued, and they left the church over that. It wasn't my intention. I didn't ask them to leave the church, but thank God they did. If you're going to introduce error to people, if you're going to bring false teaching in the Quran, it's absolutely 100% false. Allah is not the God of the Bible. We don't worship the same God. Muhammad is not a prophet. If you're going to bring that error into the church, you've got to be real careful. Guys, you, people in that class should have known enough about the Bible that they said, we don't want the Koran being taught in our class. We want the Bible. Somebody should have spoke up. It shouldn't have lingered on for months. If you hear somebody in this church, I'm not in every Sunday school class. I trust our Sunday school teachers. But whether it's them or me or anybody else, no matter if an angel comes from heaven and presents to you another gospel, you say no. So guys, be careful. Recognize truth from error. You're always going to fight against it till the end of the days. That we are to notice, to know it, and to do something about it. We talked about how Satan, and I already mentioned this from 1 Peter 5, is a roaring lion. How he's always looking for somebody to devour. How he's so crafty that he became a serpent in Eden. And I said that we were going to talk about ideas, and here's this idea. Satan did not approach Eve with something in his, he didn't have hands. But he didn't come bearing some gift that was going to poison her to death. He didn't, he didn't come with a weapon on his back. No dangerous object. Satan came with an idea. And ideas have consequences. Right thinking produces right fruit. And it's good. Okay? Wrong thinking produces wrong fruit. And it's bad. It's as simple as I can put it. It's deadly. And so what Satan's motivation was for these believers and what it is for us today is to poison our minds against God and his word. Well, God's word really has been through so many translations that it's probably not really even accurate anymore, right? Wrong. Well, God obviously isn't the same God from the Old Testament to the New Testament, is he? Yes, he is. Well, Jesus couldn't really die for the sins of all people. That couldn't be possible. Yes, it could. You've got to know the basics of faith and then grow in those basics so that when there's arguments that are presented to you, so that when a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon comes to your door, you don't buy what they're selling hook, line, and sinker because you've read the Bible and you know it. I wish Baptists evangelized like the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. I wish we were going out with the true gospel because we've got the real thing rather than poisoning minds. 
But guys, when somebody comes with poison, you need to recognize it real quick for what it is. You certainly don't take it. You certainly don't consume it. You certainly don't give it to your kids and your family. You've got to know. Nobody can do that for you in those moments. You've got to know it. The preacher's not going to be there at your house to tell you, don't do that. Jesus isn't going to speak audibly down from heaven and say, don't believe that. You've got to know it. He's given you his word, which contains everything you need for life and godliness. And so if Satan can poison your mind toward God and his word, he, he can succeed in affecting your actions and behaviors. How does false teaching affect us today? Well, today, most people don't take doctrine seriously. Honestly, most people do not care about the Word of God. We had uh, Brother Bill spoke about the Gideons last week, and we, we gave, um, I think, we gave a little over $1,500 to the Gideons last week. Praise God for that, for the production and the distribution of Bibles. Um, it is imperative that we share and spread the Word of God in its written form and in its verbal form. But most people don't take doctrine seriously. Most believers, guys, uh, I'm in this group. We don't read or study the Bible regularly. And if you don't know the truth of God's Word, golly, man, I don't know what you're into, okay? Like, you may know every tree in the forest. You may be able to recognize, walk through a greenhouse and tell everybody what every kind of flower and plant is. You may know every Dallas Cowboy statistic, Steve, from 1985 on. You may know all there is to know about Nolan Ryan. Well, that's important information for me to know, right? I know when he threw his seventh no-hitter. I know how many strikeouts he has. You may know everything there is to know about remodeling a house or building a house or fabric or stitching or uh, nursing or teaching or whatever it is, okay? We all know that we have to have knowledge in order to teach others and to grow. But oftentimes, we put those things on a higher level than having knowledge about God. And this message will carry over just in the next week because we're going to talk about Gnosticism and agnostics and what Gnosis is and how come knowledge matters and if we can really know things about God. But here's the bottom line of all of it. Satan's going to try to tempt you and trick you through the use of your mind. He's very clever. Don't underestimate him. He's very persuasive. You remember Johnny Cochran back in the OJ trials? Satan's even craftier than he is, all right? He's beguiling. And Satan, if you don't have the Word of God hidden in your heart, and you don't get into the Word of God and spend time with God in prayer, Satan can throw a weave into whatever it is that you're thinking. He can throw a little wave in there, he can throw a strand in there, and he can lead you astray. Nobody can do this for you except you. You've got to know the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God and you're in a difficult situation, you go to somebody immediately who does know the Word of God and ask for help. Or you go directly to God himself and ask him for help. Don't, you know, I always say, I never heard the word hangry before. 
I met Jennifer. She's like, are you hungry? I don't know. This was years ago. She's like, because you're being really grumpy. I'm like, yeah, I could eat. And so I know you didn't invent the word, but uh, we realized that when I got hungry, I got pretty angry. Right? I was pretty cross. And so I ate something, and ah, and then I ate a whole lot, and it didn't help, you know, <laughs> my mood. But here's the crazy thing. We, we have to be nourished. We all have to be nourished. Spiritually, our spirits are starving for the things of God. And a lot of us, physically, we're okay. Or maybe physically we're starting to crumble. But the inner person, the inner man, the inner woman, is desperately starving. They're needing some nourishment, some sustenance, some help. And when the inner person is filled with the goodness of God, it doesn't just affect the spirit, it affects the outer person as well. And our lives are so much happier, healthier, more joyful. Guys, get in the Word of God. This message was called Confidence in God. There is a God, contrary to what the Gnostics will say, that is knowable. He is approachable. Why would God call Himself our Abba if He wasn't approachable? My little boy this morning, Sperry, I was standing there talking to somebody. They were both clinging on to my... I was talking to you, Michelle. They were both clinging on to my legs, all right? Um, I, I walked over here, and Sperry just clamped onto me and hugged me and said, I love you, Daddy. And I said, well, sweetheart, I love you too. And I kissed him on the head. My little boy knows that he can approach me. Sometimes I have to tell him not to interrupt. But here's the beautiful thing about God. He is always approachable. You as his child can always go to him. You can cry out to him. You can complain to him. You can pour out your needs to him. You can shower him with praise and accolade. He's never going to say you're interrupting him. He is always available. He is your Abba. And if you need him, he takes you. And how he does this is incomprehensible. It requires faith that he can do that for all of his children. Brings you up. And face to face, he looks at you. He hears you. He listens to you. He loves on you. That is the God we serve. He is a knowable God. Contrary to what anybody else will teach, Peter's going to tell the church in the early days, don't listen to those people who say you can't know God or know God's Word. And I'm telling you today that you can know God. You can know God's Word, and you'd better know God's Word if you hope to stand up in the evil day that we're living in. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that every single soul that's here is a born-again Christian. Is that possible? 100% possible. Is everybody here saved? I have no clue, Lord, but you do. You know the hearts, the minds, the wills of every single one of us. There ain't nothing we can hide from you, God. And this morning, Lord, 
if, if, if you were to come down as the shepherd and you were to divide the sheep into one pen and the goats that don't belong to you in the other pen, I really truly pray that you would search the hearts of everyone here that we're all going into the sheep pen. Lord, if there's a person this morning that thinks that they're going into the goat pen or they know they're going in the goat pen, Lord, that you would change their heart and mind and that you would simply convict them and that they would understand that all they have to do according to the Bible is to cry out to you, Father, I am a sinner and I need to be forgiven of my sin. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And this morning, I confess that I want you to save me and make me your child. Guys, that's all it takes. The Spirit's conviction, your response, God's promise fulfilled. Where are you going? You got to know God first before knowing his word matters. If you don't know Jesus, nothing else really matters. If you know Jesus this morning as your Lord and your Savior, then it's time to get close to him. Jesus is the word made flesh. You want to know Jesus better? Get into his word. You want to live in a world that's so full of darkness and still be light? Get in his word. You want to know what's wrong? Listen, I ain't putting no confidence in a politician. We'll never have a Savior upon Capitol Hill. But we do have a Savior, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father this morning. And we can place all our confidence in you. And we love you, God. We pray that you're working now, Lord that if anybody this morning has given their life to Jesus, that they would make that publicly known because we want to rejoice with them, not to embarrass them, not to point a, a light on them and say, look at me, look at me, but just to be able to rejoice with them. God, I pray that through our vacations and all the things that we pack into our suitcases this year, that we would not ne to ne neglect to pack our Bibles. Lord, when we go on road trips or to travel ball games or wherever it is we go, that we would take you with us. Make us a people that are really built upon the Word of God so that we're able to combat error and to agonize over what's false and to fight against it with great strength and power and courage. Lord, we know you can do all of these things through Jesus in us. And we trust you for that. And we love you, God. And we proclaim it this morning. Thank you. Thank you for being our God and sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.